beautiful day. I was um, in the back just listening to your voices. And I have to tell you that you have blessed my heart this morning. Thank you, Matt, and the rest for leading us before his throne in worship. I want to thank the many, many people, um, Jill and, and Jared, Mike, and Sierra, and the entire team that uh, ministered to our community yesterday through our fall festival. And it was a delight to meet many new friends. And my prayer is, is that we would love our neighbors well. So thank you for the many that worked. A great day. God blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful day. And I thought it was appropriate as we're kind of finishing up the story of the flood and kind of um, exiting the ark that they, we ordered a heavy rainfall last night just, just to kind of like, wow, what would that really be like? So it's fresh in your minds, okay? You're welcome. That's, that's just a total, total gift. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we have a lot of ground to cover in an amazing, amazing text this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we come into your presence now and our hearts overflow in gratitude to you. And we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercies that are new every day. And, and Lord, at some level, we understand that there are many, many throughout the world that are in the midst of just horrendous fears and, and nightmares and death and bloodshed. And Father, we, we today get a glimpse into the intention of man's hearts and Lord, the best that we can do is to be faithful in our prayers, to lift up all of those that are in harm's way. And Father, I pray for the hearts of those who are in rebellion to you. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would reveal yourself to them in, in some way that is beyond our capacity of understanding. And that, God, even, even in the midst of chaos, people would be drawn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for loved ones. We we pray for neighbors and friends who are in question and wondering and are even living in seasons of fear that you, Lord, would give to us words um, to minister comfort and encouragement to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I pray that as we have your word now open before us for a few moments that you would be heard, that we would leave um, your house later this morning knowing that we have heard a word from you that we can behold you and consider your goodness in a way like never before and lord i please ask for help just just guard my mind and my mouth may everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone Father, we minister, we ask that you would minister to people particularly that are listening this morning that are here whose hearts are churning in unrest. And Father, I would pray that they would, they would be drawn to you today. They would sense a closeness like never before. Your presence as you overwhelm them and draw them unto you. Lord, that is our prayer. We cast that now at your feet. May, may you who speak and you've given to us ears, may we hear your voice today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. 
Okay, we pick up the narrative here. It has rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and then it stopped, but that was far from the flood being over. We've considered how Noah, his wife, his sons, and his son's wives, and all of the animals that breathed air had been packed into this ark, this, this floating barn. It has been over one year, 371 days to be exact. They, they float it, they drift it, they were blown without any idea of where they were or what was happening. There was no sails, there was no rudder, there was no control. Last week we talked about the fact that there are moments in our lives that we feel like that. Lord, what is happening Yet God was and still is at work protecting and saving these these words. But God remembered Noah. Remind all of us of the guiding hand of a sovereign God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. We learned how God made a wind to blow to dry the earth out. The water subsided. The flood had abated. The ark came to the rest on the mountains of Ararat. And over time, the ground was made dry and the trees and the grass and the flowers all began to blossom again. And God spoke, what? Go outside. Together as a family, and we end it with these words, be fruitful and multiply. Just just imagine, can you pause and imagine breathing deep breaths of fresh air after being kind of cloistered inside? Can you just imagine squinting at the brightness of the sun, feeling the lushness and the softness of green grass under your feet and you see the animals as they kind of exited and ran free jumping and bucking and sniffing and chasing and hiding it was blessing upon blessing upon blessing and now i want you to note as we read our text note the very first response what is the first thing that happens here is um, our text i'll pick it up in in verse 20 Genesis chapter 8, I'll read down through chapter 9, verse 7. Here it is. Here is the word of the Lord. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth 
and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. The word of the Lord. Again, I I cannot help but think as we consider the first point this morning, the, the beauty, the sheer beauty of worship. What is Noah doing? Just think for a moment how glorious it must have been to finally disembark from the ark. And yet rather than what? Rather than any sense of personal concern here on Noah's part, there's no no thought of his own safety. There's no thought of his own provision at some level what we're gonna have to get a shelter we're going we, we, we got to find a fire where's that flint rock it's probably going to be cold tonight or rather what i'm just exhausted with this whole family like intense i need a little downtime honey what was the name of that airbnb we were going to check out there's there's no concern at all for his own personal well-being it was none of that instead Here it is, Noah's first thought, his first thought was God word. And just stop for a moment. Think of your own life. Think about seasons of struggle in your life. Times of trial, moments of misery, and you all have experienced them. And God has sustained you. And you do this. You, you take your fingers, don't use your thumb, and you check your pulse. And even in the midst of that misery, and you realize what? There's a heartbeat. I'm still alive. When you, when you do that, what is your first response about you? Man, I must be pretty amazing to make it through that storm. Is your first thought on yourself or is it on God? I'm confident as Noah built an altar. Literally, this word altar means a place of slaughter. They're large stones that were put into place with a flat surface. And as he was building this, I'm sure at some level that there was joy in this worship expressing gratitude for God's guiding hand of deliverance. Think about this. Every single rock that he and his sons maybe put into place. Thank you, Lord, so much. I can't believe I'm still here. Thank you, God, so much. Expressing gratitude. 
but even more important because it was what? This is a, this is, and this is hard for us to kind of grasp, a burnt offering. We know what's happening, what? It's, it's, it's God, in a sense, allowing Noah to take the animals, if you remember the instruction of the animals was take the clean ones with you because you're going to need them later on. He takes the clean ones and it's not just a, an opportunity to express gratitude for God. It is an act of atonement. That's what a burnt sacrifice was all about. This was normal. This was commonplace for the building of altars and the offering of what? Your first fruits. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. You remember what? Abel offered what? His first fruit. He offered the firstborn, which is the best. And you give it to God to be completely burned up. And as what? The sacrifice is burned. As the scent, as the smoke rose, it says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, what is this? Think, not only does this worship mean something, but it costs something. These are the best oxen. Like, we're going to need for them right now, and we're offering them. These are the best sheep given completely to the Lord, and the Lord delights. In Hebrew, this word pleasing, it's nikhoic. It conveys the idea of rest, and tranquility and is related here to the name of Noah himself. If you recall back a couple chapters where Noah's father Lemek remarks what? That he has a son. He calls his name Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief. It's through this one that there will actually be rest. Which means what? All of the sin that existed in this world the destruction, the devastation that has come as a result. And now what? God is pleased. And it's hard for us. I will admit, as much as I try to study, it's hard for us to identify totally with this idea of sacrifice. And I don't think we're ever fully going to understand it until we are fully glorified in heaven. How is there actually rest? How is there relief? Even at least for a moment in a lamb that's been killed, in a lamb that has been burned. Like how does that bring us rest? We're introduced to something here that what? God's holiness cannot exist cannot coexist with man's sinfulness. Lesson number one on God's holiness and people's sinfulness was delivered in the form of instructions. Nancy Guthrie writes this, how the burnt offering was the most important sacrifice later on at the Israelite festivals. Bringing the burnt offering was a very personal experience intended most certainly to make an impression on the one offering his sacrifice. The instruction in Leviticus chapter 1 says this. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tents of meeting. The offerer... 
identified himself with the animal by laying his hand on the animal's head. Think about this. When the animal died, it died for the offerer's sins. So at some, some level, what is happening here? Noah's offering propitiated, in a sense, it turned aside God's righteous wrath. Not, not only toward himself and his family, but what? Towards mankind, sinful mankind in general. And yet, as we will see in a moment, just in a moment, although hearts have not changed here, men and women still gravitate toward sin. And we'll see that in Noah's own life and in the lives to come throughout the book of Genesis and the rest of God's word. And yet what? Even in the midst of our sinfulness, God chose to be gracious and forbearing. And we know that by what he states what? While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Which God says what? I still have blessing for you. Guess what? The sun will rise. And it will set every day. And the earth will continue to rotate. And although we do not deserve it, what? There are seasons as they're changing before us every single day. There is springtime and sunshine. There will be fruits and blessing upon blessing. And most importantly, there is atonement that is offered. And we need to learn why this, this sacrificial worship and later on the sacrificial system itself is so important. And why is it that God's grace is to be celebrated? Why do we sing about this and speak of this all of the time? Number two, this is the reason. The intention of man's heart. It says what is evil from his youth. Well, well, these think about these post-flood promises that it says that God thinks in his heart or says, in a sense, are being made known to Noah. These post-flood promises, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. They had to have been comforting. This truth had to have been encouraging for Noah. And although these words were different than anything that has ever been, what, heard from God, there are some things that never change. And in fact, Noah and all of mankind, here's what does not change, are still sinners, God's promising blessing upon blessing. And Noah's like, wait a minute, but my hearts. Romans chapter 3 says this in verse 10, that there are none that are righteous. And it's, and it's repeated. No, not even one amongst us. So if you recall, it goes back several weeks, pre-flood days. We spent some time in Genesis chapter 6, and it says this in verse 5, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pre-flood. And now post-flood, even after the cleansing of the wickedness of man that was great on the earth, there's still a problem. There's still a problem, and here it is. Here's what we have to hold on to. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. 
you cannot get around the fact that we're touching on one of the key doctrines that we must confront. We cannot pretend it does not exist. We cannot ignore it, nor can we omit it. Note that it, it stems from what? Genesis chapter 3 was the fall of mankind. It's revisited in Genesis chapter 6, which is the depravity of mankind. And now it surfaces again in Genesis chapter 8 that refers to the heart of mankind. And it's what? Here's the doctrine. It's the doctrine of original sin. Reformation Sunday, as today is, I think it's appropriate that we draw our attention to the first, what, pedal on the tulip. This subject deals with total depravity. Now think about this. We're not even out of the first book of the Bible. Wait, wait a minute. We're not even a quarter of the way to the first book of the Bible. And this subject has surfaced three times. And guess what? There are 66 books of the Bible. When the great German reformer Martin Luther wrote in exposition of Genesis, get this, and it was eight volumes long. You think I'm long-winded. Eight volumes long on the book of Genesis, he gave specific attention to this phrase, to this text. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Well, I am certain that you can guess very much like today what? That teaching did not make him very popular. Why? Because people dislike this teaching people don't don't want to hear about this instead they like to hear what is what the opposite is referred to as the blank slate philosophy of human development that says what a baby a baby soft and cuddly and cute and adorable they smell a little funny at times and they get sticky once in a while. But what? It's a baby. Completely innocent. And it's only sin is a result of the unhealthy moral environment that they grow up in that causes them to become sinners. And this teaching is very, very comforting because what? It, it, it speaks to the fact that then my sin is not really my fault. It's my father's fault. It's my mother's fault. It's my big brother's fault who threw the rock in my head. It's my big sister's fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's my friend who tempted me when I should not have been tempted. Everyone likes that teaching. The problem is this. The problem with that thinking the problem with that teaching is that that's not what Scripture teaches. It says this, the intention of my heart is evil from my youth, or from, as it translates, earliest days. Think about this. If a child 
theoretically somehow could be raised in some kind of like a protective bubble from every single immoral influence, they could be righteous. Therefore, if they could be righteous, then Jesus would not have needed to come to sacrifice himself as atonement for our sins. There would be no need of a savior. Martin Luther adds this, and I quote, Moses writes from his youth because this evil lies hidden. The period of our infancy is spent in such a manner that reason and will seem dormant. We hardly pass our early years when we look for idleness and play and wantonness and pleasures, but we shun discipline, we shake off obedience and hate all virtues, but especially the higher ones of truth and justice, end quote. What, what is he saying? In a sense, he's saying what? Here is, here's the summary. Your heart, my heart, is bad from the beginning. And, and we're like, yeah, but come on. That's Luther, okay? The guy used bad words. He called the Pope names. He probably drank too much beer, right? And we, we kind of excuse away. Well, hey, a minute. Wait a minute, how about consider the words of David himself, King David, who wrote this in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the day my mother conceived me. Yeah, but that's David. He was an adulterer. Okay, he was a murderer. Consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah who says what? In chapter 17, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah, but that's Jeremiah. The guy was a manic depressant. I mean, really? You're going to take that? How about this? How about consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is without sin? Do you remember the scene in John chapter 8 with the woman that was caught in adultery, caught in the very act? And people, what, are gathering around her, the crowd, and they are gathering stones. They are going to throw rocks at her head to kill her because of what she did. And Jesus says what? He that is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And what happens? It says, and I read it just this morning, Jesus went down and began to write right in the ground well what did he write we don't know but what we do know is this that you could hear the thud of rocks as they dropped the ground and every one of them scurried away why because they knew in their own hearts and these were so-called religious rites they knew that they had sin in their hearts and I understand, I understand how difficult of a doctrine this is to accept rebellious from birth, original sin, total depravity. Every one of us all are born in sin, both natural and moral. And like, why, why, why must we look at this? Why must we talk about this? Like, really, like... The animals are skipping in the meadow and the sun is shining. This, this text 
provides a pattern for what we as sinful human beings must do in order to find God's favor. What is it that we must do in order to find God's favor? Nothing. There's, there's nothing that we can do other than what? Thank him. Other than worship him. Remember the, the altar and the sacrifice was not for God's favor. It was because of God's favor. The same applies today. In spite of our propensity, our, our constant bent towards sin, atonement through sacrifice is possible. And it what? It is possible to secure peace and rest and relief. Praise God. And it's not going to be through you or I who can atone for our sin because we are sinners. It's only going to happen through one. It can only happen through one. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spots. There's only one. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and says what? He announces, behold, kind of what we told the little ones today, look, just look. Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thirdly, what happens? There are gifts of grace. <coughs> Excuse me. Three of them specifically. The first is what I call this repeated blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. We actually introduced it last week, chapter 8, verse 17. It's repeated in, in, in chapter 9, verse 1. It's repeated again in chapter 9, verse 7. Three times. God responds to Noah by repeat, repeating the blessing that is first given. If you recall, this was, this was like some of the first instruction that was ever given to man in Adam in Genesis chapter 1. <coughs> Genesis chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Again to Adam, 28 through 30. Be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful, multiply. But, but at this point, there's some qualifications here due to the fact, what, that we talked about our hearts that we have a problem of human sin. God charges Noah to multiply. And by implication, as we see this in Genesis chapter 1, is to rule over, to have authority, to exercise dominion, to rule over the animals, to rule over the resources that his creation provides, to rule over the minerals and the plants and the crops, to rule over everything. And this is still true. You hunters that are out there that will, what, beat your chest when you drop the big buck. You're like, see ya, I'm in charge here. This blessing at some level is still intact. And how, how in a sense, is, is this ruling to take place Apart from what? The little ones. That children are a blessing. 
Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And we get that kind of language. Therefore, we are called as part of our responsibility to procreate and to fill the earth. I know, again, we touch on a subject like, wait a minute. Well, what, what, if, what if I wanted more arrows in my quiver than God gave me? What about that? That's not really fair. We only had one. We only had two. And, and, and why is that? Or what about people who would say that, that I had one and I lost my arrow? My son was taken from me. My daughter died in childbirth. Or, or, or what about the ones that would say, well, I've, I've never even had in arrow and I will never have in arrow what, what do we do in those situations they all exist they all are represented let me, let me assure you and I, and I do not say this in a, in a quick way or a flippant way God didn't make any mistakes God is sovereign his hand of control is overall and every single one of us are called to different roles and responsibilities. But we know at some level that God doesn't make mistakes. He knew exactly who would and who would not. How many? Our responsibility, therefore, is what? We are to still pray for the little ones. We are to still support. We are to still promote his plan it's his plan and his design and this again touches on this is like whoa because you begin to kind of pan back from that we look at our world and we look at what the world is just celebrating as let's just redefine redesign attempt to just this week i was listening to a lecture from rosario Butterfield. I've shared her testimony in the past. In the lecture, she was speaking of the book that was just released in September, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Encouraging Pastor Aaron, we want to make that available to you as a book of the month in the very near future. And Butterfield describes the reality. This is the world that we live in. And she is quoted as saying, as, as we live in the midst of an all-out war against heteronormativity. And, and she was asking, like, what, what is that? There's a war against that which is normal? There, there's an onslaught? By, by this, we know God's word. And this is hard because we have got to love and we've got to pray for so many that are confused and lost and struggling in this. But we know that God's word does not include two men living in a homosexual relationship or two women living in a homosexual relationship. Because according to that, there can be no life. According to that, if that is so good, human, mankind would cease 
to exist. And we see what the tenets of that, regardless of the fact that God's design is under attack, our role is what? Is to what? Pray for his plan. To promote, to speak about his plan. And we still have a respect for all life. For all life. And it's part of these gifts of grace. Another part of the blessing that we have is what? We're actually instructed to respect animal life. And he begins there. And it may seem odd at some level to include this instruction right here. I give you everything. And then he says this. Don't eat the flesh of an animal with its life or in its blood in it. Like what is this? Humans don't devour animals as animals devour one another. Why? Because there's a respect for life. We don't eat raw meat with blood in it. We don't do that. It's what animals do. And it's a respect for life and the giver of life. You disregard God's instructions, disregard this gift, and it's an affront, it's an attack to the one true giver and creator of life. Not only are we to respect animal life, but far more important, and you see that with what? This last gift of God's grace, the respect of human life. Now think again to pre-flood days. Remember Genesis chapter 6? Pre-flood. Murder was commonplace. Everybody's killing everyone. And now what? No longer. It is not to exist like that. Why? Because a price from this point forward would have to be paid for life and it would be paid with the highest price possible. And what is that? A life itself. And this here is the establishment of what? The death penalty. And you're like, wow, you're just like touching everything today. Uh, This is like, this is here. Or as we call it, what? Lex talionis, Latin for the law of retaliation. This is profoundly and explicitly clear in Scripture. For your lifeblood I will require... From this fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God is made, for, for God made man in his image. So we have here, since the value of life, what? Since mankind is created in the image of God, no, no sin exists. I don't believe any sin exists that shows greater contempt for life than homicide. And to argue against what this eye for an eye, Exodus chapter 21, we see it throughout the pages of Scripture, is to argue against God himself. Rather what? Having clear advice. And God closes this section the exact same way that he opened it. What? Be fruitful and multiply. Respect life and multiply. I said it last week and I will repeat it again this week. The blessings of God are meant to ever expand for the glory of God. How did we get here? We got got lush green grass. Animals skipping in the meadow. Don't eat raw flesh with blood in it and don't murder one another. Like, how did we get here? As we examine the freshness of life, and that's what's happening. God wiped the slate 
clean. And he begins with what? The newness of life. The joy of worship. Thank you. Thank you. The joy of worship through a burned up sacrifice because forgiveness and atonement were offered. Yet we still live in the reality of what? The intention of man's heart is evil. Well, what do we take from this text? Like there's some heavy hidden stuff here. Now we can focus only on our sin. Only on our sin. The depravity of our hearts. What? And we can live miserable lives. Legalism. Got to do this. Got to do this. Don't do this. Do this. Do this. And that's a, that's a miserable existence. No grace whatsoever. Focus just on that. But that's not where we live. Or we can what? We can ignore this truth, pretend it doesn't exist, and live in a sense kind of blinded lives, misled and confused, just continue on doing whatever you want to do, uh, where there's what? There's no law, no restrictions, antinomianism, no grace, to all grace, whatever you want to do, God's going to forgive you. You could flip to either one of those extremes, or what? I leave you with this. This is what we need to do. And hold on to this. This is the crux of this heavy text. We need to acknowledge and accept the doctrine of original sin. Does not mean that you can't ask questions about it. I would encourage people to do that. Like, ask. But at some point, we have to accept the doctrine of original sin. Focus on the atoning work of Jesus. Accept his sacrificial gift. It's a gift. And what, as a result, behold him. Worship in the freedom of his sovereign grace. My, my prayer, and I, and I understand fully, and so please hear my heart. I am not trying to, to attack or lay on to it. My, my prayer is that we understand the fullness of the gospel. That there is no good news. What? There's no, there's no hope of salvation through the work of Jesus apart from the fact that there is bad news that, that, that exists in this world. It's real. And so thankfully, we, we acknowledge the fact that we are sinners. But we worship the one who's offered his own son. The only one who could die on our behalf to pay the price for your sin and mine. And what do we do? I tell you what, every single day you wake up, I'm still here. And we live to worship. We live to sing about him. We live to celebrate him. We live to tell others about Father, we thank you for this word, and I, I understand the heaviness of it, but I would pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would ignite within our hearts, burn within us this truth that we see your goodness and grace, even in the midst of the darkness of this world. We love you, and we thank you for your love for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.